0: You're listening to the SSPX Podcast. This is a series of conferences given by Father Thomas Asher of the Society of St. Pius X on the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's meant to be seen as a private retreat, a retreat that you can do while you're sheltering in place or at your house, perhaps with some extra time. For all of our conferences, please visit SSPXPodcast.com. Now, here's Father Asher The Temptation of Our Lord in the Desert. You can find this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter four, verse one through 11, or in Luke's Gospel, chapter four, verse one through 13, which is what we will be using today. And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert for the space of 40 days and was tempted by the devil and he ate nothing in those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if thou be the son of God, say to this stone that it be made bread And Jesus answered him, It is written that man lives not by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil led him into a high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To thee will I give all this power and the glory of them, for to me they are delivered, and to whom I will I give them. If thou therefore will adore before me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answering said to him, It is written, Thou shalt adore the Lord thy God, and him alone shalt thou serve. And he brought him into Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself from hence. For it is written, That he hath given his angels charge over thee, that they keep thee, and that in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest perhaps thou dash thy foot against a stone." And Jesus answering said to him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And all the temptation being ended, the devil departed from him for a time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and the fame of him went out through the whole country, and he taught in their synagogues and was magnified by all. And so, verse 1, Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. I often, when reading this verse, think back to our Lord's presentation in the temple, how old Simeon was led by the Spirit um, into the temple, where he, of course, received our Lord into his arms. And our Lord, of course, here is being led by the Spirit out into the desert. And there's a kind of parallel, because the desert that we're meant to retire into, you and I, is really the desert of our soul. And Simeon, of course, being led to the temple, our our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. They are the the temple of God, and it is within us, by the indwelling of the Holy Trinity, that that God is present in us by grace. And it's to there that we're meant to withdraw and to spend that time in silence with uh, with Almighty God in in union with our Lord. One commentator had this to say: that in this this event in the life of our Lord, that by this we are taught to retire into the solitude. The solitude of our soul to converse with God in prayer and draw down blessings for ourselves and our undertakings. Remember that our Lord has just received the sacrament of baptism. And again, another commentator says that, that what treasures of grace would we receive if as often as we receive the sacraments, so any sacrament, be it confession or, or the Eucharist or 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 a marriage or any, any of the sacraments, um, What treasures of grace would we receive if as often as we received the sacraments, we were to retire into ourselves and shut out for a time the world and its cares? St. Teresa of Avila, um, she said one time that the best time to negotiate with God um, was after Holy Communion. And she had this to say that his divine majesty is not accustomed to pay poorly for his lodging in those places where he is well received. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, the idea of being able to uh, to receive our Lord into the to the dwelling of our of, of our soul. If we receive Him well, He is going to pour out His riches upon us. If, on the other hand, we receive some sacrament, you know, as I said, confession, the Eucharist, what have you, and we don't spend time with Him, we don't receive Him well. I mean, we don't uh, take that time to to be with him and entertain him, so to speak, as we would have guessed in our home, the, the riches we receive, the payment he's going to give is, is going to be very small. And it really depends on us. The sacraments, of course, always give grace. But the amount that they give is going to be very dependent um, upon the dispositions that the soul brings to the table. Verse 2. For the space of 40 days and was tempted by God, and he ate nothing in those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. This, first of all, is remarkable that God, having taken on our human nature, um, is able to to endure, to experience things that are incongruent with the divine nature. God cannot suffer. He cannot feel pain. He does not sleep. He is not fatigued. And yet, God is all of those things insofar as he has united a human nature to himself in the person of the word. He took on our infirmities, and the idea that Almighty God would do that for love of us should leave us truly speechless, and should overwhelm us with a a sense of gratitude. Now here we see that, um, and this is from one of the fathers of the church, that Christ draws the devil into battle. By feigning weakness, all right. So he he uh, he shows himself uh, as man to be to be tired, to be fatigued, to be hungry, and like a a good general, let's say, will feign weakness when his army is strong um, in order to draw the enemy into an attack so that he can destroy him and overcome him. So our Lord does does something similar. Now, to be attacked by the devil, in fact, is is proof of belonging to Christ. And those attacks that come, the temptations, the difficulties, they should, if we use them rightly, only make us stronger. The old expression that the stronger the storm that we endure, um, the stronger we are to endure storms. Um, There's, um, and I'm I'm quoting it off the top of my head, I think it's in James's epistle, he talks about um, counting it as... as, uh, as a benefit when we are tempted. Now, of course, we don't go looking for temptations. We'll, we'll see a little further down. But um, when these trials come, um, to see them not as obstacles to my going to God, but rather as opportunities to really prove my love. Another lesson in this episode is that even in our holiest works and austerities, we are going to be tempted. Sometimes people, when they have temptations, you know, completely uninvited, they don't want these things, when they view these temptations as somehow a sign that they are, they are wicked or, or reprobate or, or whatever. And yet we see that even the greatest saints, we see our Lord Jesus Christ, even he is tempted by the devil. Now, Moses and Elias in the, the Old Testament, of course, fasted for 40 days prior to, to their, their mission, let's say. Um, and so to our Lord, we can say follows their example. He takes this on not um, out of any need on his part but in order to instruct us we're reminded when we do really try to follow our lord more closely when we do undertake to to be more faithful in the practice of virtue it can be then that we feel an increase in temptations because the devil of course is going to come out of uh, after us rather to try and, and derail our good intentions and of course we must stick to our guns. Verse 3, and the devil said to him, if thou be the son of God, say to this stone that it be made bread. Now, it has been said, I think it was Bishop uh, Sheen, he said that the devil doesn't directly oppose the work of Christ here, but he simply tries to get him onto an easier path. So he doesn't directly attack, let's say, the, the kingdom of God, but he wants to pervert its nature. There's an appeal here um, to riches, we might say, to, to the craving of, of the bodily comforts, the ease, um, the inordinate attach, uh, attachment to, to persons or places or works. Um, we think maybe of, uh, uh, Jacob and Esau, how, how, how Esau sold his birthright, you know, his rights as firstborn, he he sold it for, for what, for a, for a mess of pottage, you know, a, a bit of porridge. He, he gave up his inheritance and so too men can, uh, giving way to the desire for human comfort, consolation, giving way to concupiscence, um, we can sell our birthright as as children of God. Verse four, and Jesus answered him, it is written that man lives not by bread alone, but by every word of God. One, uh, I think it was one of the fathers of the church said that if our Lord answers the devil in, in so mild a manner, when he could have buried him in hell, ought we not then when we suffer from our fellow man, when he tests our patience or, or tries us in some other way to turn it to our own good versus to our, to our ruin by, by becoming angry or lashing out. Verse five, six, and seven. And the devil led him into a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to thee will I give all this power and the glory of them for to me they are delivered and to whom I will I give them. If thou wilt adore before me, all shall be thine. Now, in Matthew's gospel, it's interesting. This is actually the third and final temptation. And it's when, of course, the devil, you know, says, bow down and adore me, that our Lord is going to say, be gone. Um, it's interesting. It's put here, secondly, um, in, in uh, Luke's gospel, excuse me. Um, and the devil here is offering a material kingdom, we can say. Um, it's the temptation to power. It's the temptation to ambition. It's the temptation to the to the empty honors of this world. And in our own lives, the the kingdom that the devil offers us it may not may not be a physical kingdom in the same way, but he can offer us you know or, or, or present to us that temptation to power in in whatever field it might be to influence the temptation to a to a spirit of independence to a spirit of criticism. Um to a inclination to constantly focus on ourselves or busy ourselves with ourselves, uh, fostering a, a discontentedness, or maybe, maybe um, focusing on myself and building my own little nest, you know, my own little fiefdom, without regard to the people around me who may need my help. Verse 8, And Jesus answering said to him, It is written, Thou shalt adore the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now, as I mentioned before, uh, here in the other gospel, our Lord, in fact, tells him to be gone. This is where the temptations end in the other gospel. And it's just a question of the order in which the evangelists uh, wrote them down. But this this response to our Lord to, uh, to be gone, to drive Satan away, it's said that there are certain temptations that we must um, not fight directly, but rather we must, we must drive them from us. And if we can't do that, well, then we must flee from them. We don't allow them to hang around. Saint uh, Saint Augustine cautions us, you know, of course, to know ourselves, to know our weakness, um, particularly, you know, temptations against faith, the temptations against purity or chastity, um, this tendency to a critical spirit. When we see ourselves tempted in that manner, we, we don't fight these temptations head on. We don't hit them directly, but we we simply walk away. We simply um, don't give them. Um, a foothold in our mind. There's a story of a riverboat captain. It was, I think, during the Civil War, and he somebody was trying to bribe him for um, uh, uh, to take a load of cotton up north to try and run the blockade and and do this. And he said, "Well, take my cotton, and uh, I'll give you a thousand dollars." And the captain said, "No, it's too risky. I can I'll risk losing my boat." And he said, "Well, I'll give you two thousand dollars." And the captain again refused, and and uh, the person offered him three thousand dollars. And the the riverboat captain, of course, drew his revolver and said, "Get off my boat!" He said, "Because you're coming too close to my price." So he he knew that uh, you know if, if I linger in this temptation, I'm going to fall. And and in, in all of us, again, there are there are certain temptations that we uh, we have to drive away. We have to chase away, like like Thomas Aquinas with his uh, with his red hot uh, uh, poker. So verse nine. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself from hence, for it is written that he hath given his angels charge over thee, that they keep thee, and that in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest perhaps thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now, the first thing we might notice, and, and again, it's true of all the temptations, is notice how the devil misuses Scripture. He uses the Word of God, and yet he perverts it in such a way as to draw people away from God. Um, I remember one of our professors, you know, in in uh, the seminary, telling us, you know, don't get drugged into a into a Scripture quoting, uh, you know, contest or, uh, with with a Protestant because because again, they they know the Scriptures, they know the the, the, the verses that support their um, position and they can quote them, you know, chapter and verse and everything, and they'll run circles around you. Okay. Um, They have the Bible, um, but that's only half of what the Christian faith is based on. The Catholics know that it's not only scripture, but it's also tradition. And the Catholic knows as well that the, the Christ founded a teaching church Christ didn't found a a Bible association. I mean, Christ commissioned the apostles to go and preach. He didn't commission them to to go and write books and pass them out and let everybody interpret them the way that they want. Everything the church teaches, of course, has its foundations in Holy Scripture, but not every truth was written down. And that's said explicitly in Scripture. St. Peter, too, in his epistle, he makes it clear that the the unlearned um, and and the weak, they twist Scripture to their own destruction. And so the priests need to obviously insulate the faithful, you know, to understand this, because again, you know, you, you meet some Protestant, he's a, he's a nice guy, and he, he can quote scripture, and he can, boy, he can, you know, tie you in knots, you know, because he knows just the spin to put on scripture to support his position. And yet, of course, I mean, a good, a good uh, Catholic apologist can, can quote countermanding scriptures um, that support very much the church's position. And so again, the, it's it's a question of of approach. I mean, what did Christ found? He founded a church, a visible church. This is something too that we have to insulate our children um, to be on guard against, because it's very easy for them, particularly if they unfortunately might have to be in a public school and they're surrounded again by by uh, people who would would lead them astray or pervert their their faith. And so. So caution them, obviously, and teach them and love them and and get them to to, to love Christ um, in the church. Now, the devil here, again, he's trying to pervert Christ's mission. And in effect, he's telling our Lord, you can still have your kingdom. You can still have your followers. Just just do it this way. Why bother with the cross when you can do something spectacular, something, something impressive that will draw people to follow you? Um, and it can be very much the same with us hey you can you can be Catholic you can go to mass you can have your Latin mass and you can say your rosary just just maybe avoid the cross just and he will present it under the best motives think of the success you have think of of how much you could help the church if you just bent the rules over here a little bit and think of all the money you made and think of all the you know the the people you could influence and that you know he'll have a hundred and one. Reasons for us again to stray from the path that our Lord has has laid out, which again is going to be the path of the cross. Saint Hilary, you know, makes it clear that we're not we're not here on earth for for indolence. Where we're here for war. Our Lord Himself, you know, made it clear that I I came um, uh, I did not come. Do not think that I came to bring peace, but rather the sword. We, under, we have to understand that that we are here to fight and not simply cultivate an easy life. So again, the devil is tempting him to, we might say, to a certain pride, um, to an attachment to what is showy, what is, what is flashy, what is, uh, impressive. Um, and maybe it's put here last by, by Luke because it's the greatest danger for, for many, this craving of praise, the craving of external success or a visible, a visible position or the prestige or the glory, um particularly for today, for, for those who maybe suffer from a low self-esteem and want to compensate it by, by gaining the praise of the world. Now, St. Ignatius, if you'll recall in his meditation on the two standards, he says that when the devil tries to snare a soul, he normally does it first by, by a coveting of riches, a desire for wealth of some sort. And that then leads the person to ambition. And then having acquired whatever those riches are, to the to the power that comes with that, um, and then from that comes an overweening pride, and from that all the other vices. Now let's be clear that the the riches that the devil tempts me to it isn't necessarily you know money or dollars or gold or silver or whatever. It can be the riches of talent. It could be the riches of beauty. It could be the riches of position. And all of those things can lead me to to spend an inordinate amount of time in the pursuit of those things. And all of those things, once acquired, um, they do lead to a pride. Again, with with the with the rich, I mean, very often because they they have a position, they're used to to being deferred to. They can they can buy basically anything they want. They pull out their platinum card or whatever, and the maitre d' finds them a table. Of course, they are they are treated with a deference, and it's easy to fall into that pride. Um, but the same might hold true for a woman in, in the pursuit of beauty. I mean, she does everything. I mean, the, the diet and the exercise and the creams and the conditioners and what have you. And when she's done, she is truly beautiful. I mean, she, she is rich in beauty. And then, of course, what happens? Well... People notice her. People uh, defer to her. People want to uh, pursue her. And seeing that power, then that she has, it's very easier for her to turn into a well, a you know what? Um, we see the same in the field of sports. This this ambition, this desire to be the best, and of course, they do become the best. I'm I'm the best linebacker, the best uh, you know tennis player, the best this or the best that, and and I'm pursued um i'm i'm offered you know lucrative contracts and and uh signed on with the, with the best team and i get the best uh endorsements uh and people wanting me to sell their product and and in the end i end up being some obnoxious um conceited proud jerk now let's be let's be honest you can have um people that are that are very very wealthy and yet are poor in spirit and truly humble you can have um, a woman who's very, very beautiful and yet and yet very, very humble. You can have a, a sports figure who's, who's very talented and yet very humble. But we have to admit that these are really the exceptions to the rule. And to desire to love or desire any of these things inordinately um, is always going to be dangerous. It's natural for, for someone to want to be successful in business. It's natural for a woman to want to make herself beautiful. It's natural for an athlete to, to want to win. And yet we have to be resigned, of course, to the will of God and not make those things um, in the pursuit of them our religion or, or our goal. They are, they are not. Verse 12, And Jesus answering said to him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. We know that God cares for us. We know that our guardian angel is there to help and protect us. But we cannot put ourselves voluntarily into a bad situation and expect that God is going to come to our aid. We, uh, we've we seen this in, in previous meditation, so it's no need to belabor the point. But we need to make sure that we obey the church's laws when it comes to morality or to courtship or or, uh, you know, for men dealing with women or in, in the questions of money and and not expose ourselves um, under some pretext, which again, the devil's going to present it as, well, you should take this chance. You can, you can do this because, well, you're strong enough and there's some better, you know, some other good that you're going to, to gain. Remember that we can't do evil um, for a good purpose. I mean, it's not possible. So we don't want to expose ourselves to danger, and then we end up crashing and burning. And then we wonder, well, why didn't God protect me? Well, because of my own, my own stupidity. Saint Paul makes it clear, you know, he who thinks himself to, to stand, let him take heed lest he fall. Verse 13. And all the temptations being ended, the devil departed from him for a time. Now that last phrase there, I think that's one of my favorites in this, this whole episode. This idea that the devil left him but only for a time. It's like the devil um, takes time to, to fall back and plan his next attack. And we have to remember that, that when temptations are over, it's only for a time. And obviously not become fatigued when when they hit us again. But use those down times between temptations to strengthen ourselves for the coming attacks. Um, we, we pray every night at Compline that, that our adversary, the devil, he goes about like a roaring lion. Seeking whom to he may devour, okay, and that we're told to, to resist him steadfast in in the truth. The devil will wait; he will lay back; he will he will pause his temptations um, in order to lull us into a false sense of security. And so we have to remember and uh, that we're we're always in danger and never think ourselves safe or above any temptation. Um, when this, when the temptations come to an end, we're told in Matthew's gospel that angels come to and, and minister to him. And kind of, well, we'll see that again. Uh, our Lord, remember when he's in agony, how an angel come and, and comforts him. And we're told there that it's, it's probably a, uh, a presentation or manifestation to his, his human intellect, a bringing to mind of the fidelity and love of those who would profit from our Lord's sacrifice and from his example. It's um. It's certain that when we are steadfast in resisting temptation, there is a comfort and a consolation that comes to us. Uh, um, uh, even if it's if it's only a feeling of satisfaction that, wow, you know, by the grace of God, I didn't fall. That might be considered, uh, you know, an angel coming to comfort us. And if a soul is struggling with with mortal sin in particular, you know, maybe we can just emphasize that. You know, the longer we can go between falls, the more um, solid is our foundation going to be and the less likely we're going to be to fall. It's very discouraging, obviously, sometimes when somebody, you know, they fall into a grave sin and you know, they're back in the state of mortal sin. And um, it's very easy to fall back into sin when we're in that state, which is why we got to hurry and get back to confession. But the longer that we can extend um, our state of grace, um the more firmly uh, established we're going to be in it and the and the less likely to fall always always being on guard of course verse 14 and jesus returned in the power of the spirit into galilee and the fame of him went out through the whole country verse 15 and he taught in their synagogues and was magnified by all now when our lord returns from the desert um we know from from reading the gospels that he lingers a few days near the Jordan in order for John the Baptist to give testimony of him, it. and it's then that uh, John and Andrew, of course, who were disciples of John the Baptist, are going to, to begin to follow our Lord. Um, and we see that he eventually he goes back uh, to Galilee. He's going to be teaching in the the synagogues, and we're told that he's magnified by all. It is in doing our job, in in doing our duties of state. Um, that we are going to merit, let's say, a, a certain magnification or praise from our fellow man. Um, but certainly that's not the reason that we're doing our job. You know, uh, you will be praised, maybe not always, but from time to time when you do your job. But it isn't something that we should we should be looking for, or something that, uh, you know, we should be um, overly attached to, let's say. So that is it, basically, for the... Um, the commentary on the uh, on the verses. I wanted though to just briefly summarize and kind of reiterate that the devil, um, again, he's trying to get our Lord onto an easier path. He's trying to get him, you know, to to follow his own way, whether, rather than the the way of the Father, the will of the Father. Um, again, Fulton Sheen makes it clear that that he's not directly attacking. Let's say the kingdom of God. He's effectively telling our Lord, you can still have a church, you can still have followers, you can still love them, but the devil's aiming to pervert the nature of that kingdom. So our Lord is attacked firstly then in his faith, uh, in his divine origin. Remember how the devil uh, says, "And uh, you know, if thou be the son of God, all right, he's tempting him against his, his faith um, in his divine origin and divine mission and, and in the confidence that he should have um, in his father. Secondly, then, um, he, he makes it clear or he tries to tempt him or tell him that, you know, God should, should intervene, you know, directly and manifest his son by some extraordinary sign and spare him the many humiliations and sufferings that um, are going to, to lead ultimately to the cross. And then thirdly, you know, he tempts him um, to um, a material kingdom instead of, um, instead of a spiritual he offers in this material kingdom uh, a human or political kingdom, again, as, as Bishop Sheen would say, rather than the path of self-abnegation and personal sacrifice. And we can say that the devil is going to, to approach us very much in the same way, to derail us. He's going to cultivate in us, or try to at least, uh, you know, a spirit of discouragement, um, a love of what is showy or striking or marvelous. He's going to encourage us to to uh, pervert um, the kingdom of God um, and and use religious things, perhaps even for our own gain, but Christ's kingdom is going to be based on the will to suffer for men and in loving them even to the end, in spite of in spite of it all. And so too it really should be with us. So, we'll leave it there. Um, once again, take care. And God bless you.